Well, good morning. My name is Zach Thompson. I am on staff here at Calvary. And as you might have seen from that bumper video, we're starting a new series uh, this Sunday. It does not say James up there. It says Unsung Heroes. So unsung heroes are those uh, individuals, those, those people who might not get to stand underneath the spotlight. They may not get the attention. They, they may not get the acclaim. And yet without their faithful, quiet working, well, we wouldn't have heroes in general. When I, when I think of unsung heroes, I think of uh, the long snapper in a, in a football game who uh, there are three seconds left on the clock. The score uh, is, is separated by just two points. The field goal team comes out there, and the long snapper faithfully does their job. The kick goes up. It's good. Everyone surrounds the kicker. No one remembers the name of the long snapper. Yet if he made a mistake on that play, well, then everyone would know his name. I think of the copy editor who is uh, given just a stack of documents, all of this work that's been done, and they, they sort through it, they produce, they unearth from all of that work a beautiful story, and yet it's not their name on the byline. I think of many of you who might not stand on this stage, might not ever stand on a stage in general, but due to your generosity, your, your faithful working, well, we even get to have a stage. I think of Dan Hynote on the 2001 Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. In, in each of these areas, we see someone who, by their faithful, quiet work, enabled others around them to get the acclaim, the praise. Now, we're not going to spend this series looking at the life of Dan Hynote as much as that was something that I requested, but instead we are going to look at who are some unsung heroes for us. As I think through the last two books of the Bible that we preach through, we see this idea come up over and over again. If, if you were with us in the fall, we were going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, as we got there in chapter 12, we came across these verses. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we looked at, at Hebrews 12 uh, back then, we, we came to this idea that the Christian life is hard. That following after Jesus, while we're pulled towards other things, we're, we're pulled to other things that look like they might fulfill us, that might give us joy, that might give us purpose, that they all fall short, and yet we still feel that temptation to go down these routes. So what is the remedy to that? How do we avoid that? Well, part of the answer is we look around us at this cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before, who were faithful before, and we draw from their example. How can we learn from their lives to help us live for this Jesus? Throughout Hebrews, we saw Abraham. We saw Moses. In the passage here, it talked about Jesus himself, 
how we can look at their faithful lives and the times that are so difficult for us to follow this Jesus, well, it's the reminder that we can do so because of those who have gone before us. This last series that we were in in the book of James said something similar in James chapter 5 in uh, verse 10. It says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So in this world that can be so full of suffering, in this world that can throw pain at us at all times, how do we continue to follow Jesus? How do we continue to turn to God in the midst of this? Well, we look at the examples of those who are patient, those who are endured, those who hung in there even in the most difficult of times, like Job, like the prophets. There are plenty of individuals, if we're looking throughout the Bible, that we might call to mind how their lives might impact our lives, how their faith might help us uh, grow in faith, how their endurance can help us to endure. We, we said some of them, Abraham, Moses. You could look at the New Testament, Paul, John. You can even look in church history of some of the, the most impactful, the most key figures there with uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, Athanasius. How has their life of faithfulness, how can that shape ours? But we want to do this series. We want to look at these unsung heroes to help us realize that that great cloud of witnesses, well, it's bigger than we realize. That the list of people who might influence us, the list of people who might help us find hope, the list of people that, that might help us grow in faith to endure is, is so long that it, we cannot exhaust it that there are many people that we might overlook, but their quiet faithfulness, their workings can help influence us. So we want to spend this time looking at the lives of those that we might overlook to see how their faith might influence our faith, to see how their endurance might help us to endure when we feel like giving up, to see how their legacy might shape us in leaving a legacy as well. And I want to focus on that word today, Legacy. What is it that we're known for? What will people say of us when we're gone? What is it that we're known for? See, with, with legacies, all we have to do is mention the name of something, and there's an image that comes to mind about that person, what they're known for, what their influence has been. If I mention the name John Elway, you might have some images come to mind. Maybe it's Super Bowl 32 or 33 or uh, the, the image of the drive or steak. Uh, any of these might come to mind as the legacy of John Elway. Or instead, it could be the recent <clears throat> success of the team under his leadership. Maybe that comes to mind instead. All we have to do is mention the name of him and we are, can recall his legacy. Leo Tolstoy has the legacy of being one of the greatest authors in, in history, or at least the author that, that more people will pretend to have read than any other. 
his imagery, his depiction of humanity, what is going on beyond just the story so beautiful and impactful to the point where uh, his works have influenced the life and works of people as vastly different as Mahatma Gandhi and Joseph Stalin. Truly, in more way than one, war and peace is his legacy. And then there is, of course, the fact that he left his family in just abject poverty. At the end of his life, he gave away everything, even publishing rights, leaving his family in desperate poverty. That's his legacy. J. Robert Oppenheimer, Jeffrey Dahmer, Macaulay Culkin, Charles Ponzi. These are all people that we can say the name of and we might be able to think of their legacy. For good or for evil, these people are all known for something and that is their legacy. It's what they've left behind for us. But what is our legacy? What is it that we are known for? And so today I want to think of that piece as we look at our first unsung hero, as we look at the quiet, faithful working, as we look at the legacy of a woman named Dorcas. Now, Dorcas uh, is a, a story that we might have heard of. After all, it's a name that kind of sticks out to us. Uh, we could also call her Tabitha. The, the passage that we'll be in makes a point of saying that it's the, the same thing. So Dorcas in Greek is the translation of Tabitha in Aramaic. And she was a Jewish woman, so she was speaking Aramaic. So most likely it would be better to call her Tabitha rather than Dorcas. But ask yourself this question. Which of those names is more fun to say? So we're going to look at the life of Dorcas and, and how she is such an unsung hero, even where her story, where, where she fits in in the God story, rather, is a place that gets so overlooked. Because as you read through the book of Acts, you get two chapters back to back that are so impactful, that are so beautiful. In Acts chapter 9, we hear of the conversion of Saul, who would later be renamed to Paul. That in this account in Acts 9, that, that he is saved, he is confronted with the risen Jesus, and it completely changed the tra trajectory of his life and the trajectory of human history as he goes on to write most of our New Testament, as he goes on to uh, multiple mission trips and, and saving countless people, helping them to turn to Jesus, it is safe to say that without Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of Saul, the church as we know it would look wildly, wildly different. So it's such an important passage. And then you get to Acts chapter 10. And we have Peter, who is called to the house of Cornelius, this Gentile, this non-Jewish person, and he sees these people saved. For him to even enter the house of a Gentile was, was so against custom, was so forbidden from him, let alone to see this person turning and worshiping God. For him to be saved, for him to be filled with the Spirit, this was, so, this was so different. This was so impactful to Peter that he responded in this way in Acts chapter 10. In uh, verse 34, he says, So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
This is such an impactful passage uh, for, for those of us who are not Jewish to realize that despite our heritage, we could be adopted into the family of God. It's impactful for those who are Jewish to see God saving so many people. It's impactful for us as we sit here and we pray for the gospel to go to the Middle East. That is possible because of what Peter says here. God shows no partiality, but everyone in every, uh, anyone in every nation... But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This passage is so beautiful and dear. Without Acts chapter 10, again, the church would look so wildly different. And tucked right in the middle of that, the conversion of Saul, the saving of the Gentiles, the gospel going out, Cornelius and his household being saved, are seven verses on the legacy of Dorcas. Seven verses of her quiet faithfulness. Seven verses on how she has influenced others by her faith. This unsung hero captured in seven verses showing us an example of a legacy to emulate, to follow. So let's jump into it. Acts chapter nine, starting in verse 36. It says, and now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So let's just stop right there. So if we are focusing on the life of Peter, which uh, that's, we transitioned uh, to, to catch us up in the story, Acts 9, we transitioned from Saul to what Peter has been doing. And Peter's going around to uh, different parts of Israel, preaching the gospel through his faith is helping others to be healed as well. God's using him to do that. And, and if we were going to look at his life, which again, we're not, he, it's hard to say Peter is an unsung hero, uh, but we can get to an important part. It mentions that, he's, uh, that this is taking place here in Joppa. Why, why is that important? Why do we need that detail? Well, Peter's going to get called to Joppa, and Joppa is where Cornelius' men find him. We don't get Acts chapter 10 if Peter doesn't go to Joppa. And he's there to meet this woman, Dorcas, in a way. But let's look at her. What can we learn from her legacy? The first detail that we get from her is that she is a disciple. She is following Jesus. She is trusted in him. She is living a life in response to the person and work of Jesus, to what he has done for her. She is living her life in response to that. She is following him. And then we get this other detail. As someone who is following Jesus, this is being shown in her life as someone who is full of good works and acts of charity. This is what she's known for. She is full of good works and acts of charity. I, I can think of few better legacies to have than that. When people thought of Dorcas, they thought of the fact that she was full of good works and acts of charity. It, it makes me think, what, what, do, what do people think of me? One out of every six jokes is funny. He doesn't always preach too long. But would people say that I'm full of good works and acts of charity? I don't think that's my legacy. But that's what Dorcas is known for. That's her life. 
She is defined by these things. Because look, it doesn't just say that there is this one time where she did something really nice or occasionally she would do some cool things and nothing like that. She is full of good works and acts of charity. Full is such an important word throughout the New Testament. We are called to be uh, full of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is full of the righteousness, uh, uh, full of the nature of God. Full, it shows that someone is defined by this. So what we can see is, is Dorcas is devoted. She is taking every opportunity she can to bring about good works and acts of charity. That is her life. That is what she's known for. She is leave, leaving behind a legacy of someone following Jesus and treating others out of the love that's been shown to her by this Jesus. Pick it back up in 37. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda, this is where Peter was in the story before, was uh, near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made them, uh, had made while she was with them. We don't have to wonder what would people say about Dorcas after she died, because we see it in the text itself. On the most obvious level, we see the impact that these widows felt from the life of Dorcas. They are the beneficiaries of some of this uh, fullness of good works and acts of charity, that the, the very fact that they are closed, this, this most basic of human needs was met because of Dorcas' legacy. But there's actually more going on that we might miss by, by being removed from this culture that if someone who was in this culture, was, in the, uh, was a Jew in this culture, they would have had alarm bells going off, a giant exclamation part, uh, red flags being raised, because it says in this passage, uh, they washed her, good so far, and laid her in the upper room. Whoa, that's not right. Because at the time, uh, it, um, any a dead body would have been considered unclean. Now, you read throughout the Old Testament, there, there's all kinds of uh, usage of the language of what is clean and what is unclean. Uh, this is a drastic oversimplification, but uh, essentially, uh, something would be considered unclean if it reminds us of the brokenness that is of this world. God created this world and everything in it, he called it good, but out of our rebellion, us going against him, us feeling this pull towards other things that we've been talking about that has introduced sin and uncleanliness into this world, something that was considered unclean was, was death. We were meant for life with our God. For us to be confronted with death would be to be confronted with something that's not how God meant for this world to be. It would be unclean. So for someone to come in contact with a dead body, that meant that they were considered unclean. This worked its way out in, in a couple different ways. For one, anyone who was considered unclean could not go to the temple. They couldn't worship their God, which was disastrous. In addition to that, they also couldn't enter into society in the way that people need, that they would want to. Because anyone around someone unclean is made unclean themselves. 
So you needed to go through the process of cleansing yourself. But you couldn't do that until you stopped coming in contact with something unclean. It wasn't, I came in contact with this dead body. I'm unclean once. Once I fix that, I can keep coming in contact with this body. You were unclean as long as you had contact. And what did they do? They took the body. They washed it. Normally, the bodies would get buried fairly quickly so that they, someone could start the process of cleansing themselves but they put Dorcas' body in the upper room and the house, ensuring they would have contact, ensuring they would be considered unclean. Why would they do this? Why would these disciples, why would these widows do this? Well, they heard of a man, a man who had faith like they saw in Dorcas, a man who was following the Jesus they saw Dorcas follow, and they were desperate to see if his faith might have an impact like her faith had on them. And they call for Peter to come, and this is what we see in verse 40. It says, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. There's so much in this passage that I, I don't have the time or the focus today to talk about. I know we keep going back to Peter, but if we were looking at the faith of Peter, there'd be some really cool stuff for us to go to. Um, I need to keep reminding myself, we're learning from Dorcas. We're learning from Dorcas here. But if you want extra credit or, or you want to just see it on your own, uh, think of what we learn from the example of Peter's faith when we compare this passage to one that's similar in Mark chapter 5. Happy to talk about it afterwards, but it's not the focus here. We're learning from Dorcas. Uh, wedged in between two vitally important stories to us, Acts 9, the conversion of Saul. Acts 10, the gospel going out to Gentiles, the conversion of Cornelius and his family, is this little verse, or is this little section that, that's easy for us to overlook. And yet it's still as impactful as those others. As we see this unsung hero, as we see Dorcas, there is so much more that we can learn from her of how we can live a life of faith as well, as we can leave behind a legacy that's impactful as well. Because as we look at the life of this woman, as we look at the impact that she had on those around her, there's, there's so much that we can learn about the legacy that we are leaving behind as well. Dorcas is an example for us of our legacy in that those who live faithfully for Jesus, those who are following after him, well, you are leaving an impact whether you realize it or not. That as you are following this Jesus, as you are not perfectly but faithfully turning to him, you are having an influence on those who are around you. You might not be making clothes for widows, but you are still living for this Jesus, and that is influencing those around you whether that's the kids who are in your household or your grandkids, whether that's your neighbors or, or people that you come in contact with regularly, or even for me, that by your faithful endurance, by you following this Jesus, that that is something that's been so impactful for me. In the times where I feel at the end of my rope, in the times where I don't feel like being here, of wondering how hard would it be for us to play a video for the sermon. It's 
the reminder of your faithfulness that helps me to continue and persevere. And, and these aren't hypotheticals. This, this is, it's a tough Sunday today. There's a lot going on, and we have our entire staff out except for Justin and myself. And yet, knowing that we have people stepping up to help with communion, to help with the lunch that we'll have after second service, to help with setup, with, with coffee, just people faithfully serving is helping me to endure, to grow in faith, to turn to this Jesus as well. Your lives of faith have an influence on those around you. We learned that from Dorcas, and we can see it in the lives of you all as well. Dorcas is an example of our legacy because she remind, uh, her life reminds us of the fact that those who follow Jesus will be made whole as well. We can look at her life and how she had this example of the fullness of good works and charity. The, the very pictures of her influence were all around uh, her, her, grave, or her bedside. And yet there is more going on in her legacy than just that picture. That this story here reminds us of how unnatural the brokenness of this world is. Dorcas experienced that. And by her faith, by her living for this Jesus, by those of faith around her, they, they called for Peter to come and bring healing and wholeness was brought. Similarly, Dorcas is an example of our legacy because those who follow Jesus will be brought to life as well. That what is at hand for those who are trusting him, for those who are faithful to Jesus is life Eternal. It's not a resuscitation that we read of here. Dorcas dies again later, but it's a resurrection. That death is defeated. That life is on hand for those who trust in the, resur in the resurrected Jesus. That is our legacy. We're reminded of it from Dorcas, who's brought to life to remind us of the fact that our legacy is life eternal. And we might look at that phrase, full of good works and faith, the most obvious part of the legacy of Dorcas, and, and there might be that little pang of, of guilt or shame that, that I felt, maybe, maybe you feel it as well as, is that what I would be known for? Would that be my legacy? What would people say that I am full of? And maybe this is a time where God is calling us to step in to something. Maybe it's caring for those who are on the outskirts of society who are overlooked there. Maybe it's caring for others in a different way. Maybe it's, it's doing good works in, in, in some way, whether that's here in the church or outside of it. God calls us and he gives us the power to do these works. Maybe this is the start of a new legacy but there's also that other side where we hear of someone called full of good works and acts of charity and we have those moments of guilt and shame because we don't feel like we're doing enough. That's never enough. There's always more. And this is where the true legacy of Dorcas comes in. Because as we read these seven verses, as we see the impact that she had in the life around her immediately, we see the impact that she's had throughout church history since. And she reminds us that our legacy is set. Our legacy is with this Jesus. 
our legacy is, is definite because of what Jesus does, has done, what he continues to do. We see that in the life of this woman who was so influential around them that they had faith to trust that she would get brought back to life. We see this in the life of this woman who by her being raised, many more in that city were saved. That as we look at this woman, it's the reminder that the work of Jesus undoes the pain of this world, the suffering that's in it. And so as we look to her life, her legacy, that helps us us to endure is the reminder of what will be done. Our legacy is set, and we remember that because of this unsung hero, Dorcas. As we look at uh, this woman, we are reminded that this legacy with Jesus, this, this legacy that is set for us, this life of faith, this ability to endure, we have these great examples that come alongside of us to help us to do so, but it is only possible because of the person and work of Jesus. We can have every example in the world, and yet if Jesus had not accomplished what he has, if he is not victorious over the grave, all of these examples would be fruitless. What would be the purpose of them if there wasn't what Jesus has accomplished? So we need these uh, reminders of how to endure because we are people who fall flat. We need this great cloud of witnesses because we give in to those, pull, uh, those pulls towards other things. We need these, uh, these examples of faith, whether they're in this room or in this text or in church history, as a way to remind us of the fact that we fall short of this life that God has called us to. And yet the tremendous grace, the tremendous uh, grace that's given to us who have not yet been made uh, perfect is available because of the faithfulness of Jesus. We can be faithful in our work because Jesus was faithful in his Jesus came and he died this death that should have been ours, that we who are imperfect people, we who fall short of the standards of God, we are people who, in a sense, are perpetually unclean. And yet Jesus came to us and offered a way for us to be saved from our sin, to be cleansed from all fallenness, to re-enter into right relationship with him, to have hope to endure in living for him because he died this death that should have been ours. We can have that certainty of what our legacy is only because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And once a month on the first Sunday of the month, we come together to celebrate that fact that Jesus did what we could not, that our legacy is set, one of life, one of wholeness, one of the restoration of all things. That is who we are. That is what we will be known by. That is possible because of what Jesus has accomplished. And so we celebrate that through communion. We celebrate it through a variety of ways, but in particular through communion as well. It's a time where we look at the death of Jesus and we respond in worship, in gratitude, in remembrance of continuing to follow after him.
Communion has two elements to it. There is the, the cracker, which, which represents Jesus' body. Jesus died this death that should have been ours. And as we take of communion, we take this cracker and we remember the fact that this death has been removed from us. It has been accomplished through the death of Jesus. There's this cup full of juice that symbolizes the blood of Jesus, where we remember the promise that he made that he has done what he said he could accomplish. He has taken the sin from us. He has given us life. We remember that when we take of the cup together as well. It's a chance for us to remember of our legacy being set because Jesus dying this death, body and blood, and we remember, we reflect at communion. But it's also the reminder that while our legacy is set, that while that is our future, we continue to fall short. We continue to give in to those poles. And so I want to give us an opportunity before taking communion to pause, to have this time of reflection, to see where in my life am I still following down these old trails? Where in my life am I not living a life of faith? Where in my life am I falling short to what God has called me to do? And so we want to repent of that. We want to ask for forgiveness. And then we want to remind ourselves that forgiveness is at hand for those who believe that all who trust in the name of the Lord are acceptable by him. So I'm going to give us a few moments here to to pause, to reflect, and then uh, at your leisure, when you are uh, ready, invite you to one of the three stations that we have to take communion at. Two in the front, one in the back. When you get there, you'll be offered a cracker. Uh, there is a gluten-free option if that's of interest to you. Uh, a cracker rep- representing the body of Jesus. He says, uh, he says that this represents his body, that we take and we remember his death that occurred that day. There's also the cup that we will take afterwards that represents his blood that was poured out for us. And then I uh, invite you to, to have a seat, and then we will bring us back together as we continue worshiping through music at that point. If you're unable to get to one of the stations, uh, grab someone around you, someone in a green shirt, uh, a, a friendly-looking neighbor. We have some to-go cups over by the offering box in the back. But I'm going to pray for us. Give us that chance to pause, to reflect, to think of what, what this legacy that's on hand is that's only possible because of the death of Jesus. And then we can go to these stations. We can take of communion together as we continue worshiping. But let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us so great a cloud of witnesses. That there are those around us who help us to live lives of faith. That as we are struggling, as we are giving in to temptations as we are filling the pole towards things other than you, we can look at the lives of others to help us continue on. And we are grateful that it's not just these well-known individuals who can influence us, but people like Dorcas as well, who lived a life of quiet faithfulness, who was first and foremost a disciple of you, and she worked that out in her life by being full of good works and acts of charity. She's a picture of the legacy that we leave behind, both in being able to live a life like that, but also the reminder that our legacy is set. It's one of life. It's one of wholeness. It's one of all things being made new. 
we have this legacy, we have the ability to have this legacy as well because of what you've done, what you've accomplished, this death that you took from us. As we come to the table, as we come to communion, let us pause and reflect and see the significance of what it is that you've done to see what you accomplished, to see how our lives are so changed by what, who you are and what you've done, to see that that is our legacy. It's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.